Welcome to Rem and Sam. I guess I shouldn't, well, not Rem and Sam today. Unfortunately, hate to start the ep off with an unfortunately, but unfortunately, Sam isn't here today. Sam, he's crushing his media career, doing the podcast, doing the TV, doing the reporting, doing all this stuff. You forget sometimes that Sam, he's a D1 athlete. His ultimate Frisbee game, his ultimate Frisbee skills, they grow every day, they grow every week, they grow every tournament. He's at another tournament in Austin, Texas this weekend. So shout out to IHUC, shout out to the university, the ultimate Frisbee team there. Good luck to them on their tournament. It is Wednesday night. So I don't I don't know the progress of the tournament. We'll have to get the report from Sam on the day, see how things are going. But go back and listen. If you go back and listen to last week's Frisbee Corner, you know they're going to be locked in. You know this team is out for revenge this week in Austin. So everybody down there better look out because that team's going to mess some stuff up this week. They're going to play hard. They're going to give it their all. They've got something to prove. So Sam has to fulfill his duties. He's going to do his thing. He's going to destroy it out there. So he'll be back next week. We will be back to our regularly scheduled programming next week. Rem and Sam, the band, back together. But... This week, I guess, Bill Burr style, Monday morning podcast, I guess. We're doing it solo. The show must go on. NFL, NBA, stuff's happening. Free agency is now wide open. Moves are being made. Money is being thrown around. NBA, we're in the stretch run right now. There is still stuff to talk about. I think I might have already said, but it's Wednesday night, early spring in the Midwest. And the big news of the day, Aaron Rodgers came out on the Pat McAfee show, said he wanted to play for the New York Jets, officially said he wanted to play for the New York Jets next season. Obviously, this is where it's been leaning. The Jets and the Packers have been reportedly engaged in talks. If you look at the history of the franchise, only a darkness retreat would make you want to go there if you're a quarterback. But Rodgers said it. He wants to go to the Jets. We're waiting to see what the next move is. And We will wait to break that down with Sam. Like we said, nothing officially has happened. He has just confirmed that the Jets is where he wants to play. He continues to control this franchise. And I have we ever have we ever seen a quarterback do this before? He gave them the list. He told them what free agents he wanted to sign. They actually went out and got Lazard. They gave him four years, $44 million. Have we ever seen a quarterback do this before? Oh, wait. Rodgers did it last year. The Broncos, they went out, they hired Hackett. They went out and got Green Bay's offensive coordinator. They thought there was a chance maybe they could trade for Rodgers. But Green Bay, they swooped in and gave him three years, $150 million extension. He said, oh, I guess guess I'll stay in Green Bay, play one more year. The Broncos, Hackett, obviously, the infamous block management field goal week one situation, didn't make it through the season. The Broncos are still picking up the pieces of that mess, so... We will wait to see how this bears out. We'll wait for Sam to handle this one. But that's the that's the big news we're going to have to press pause on so far. But there has been some other big news, other big stuff that's gone down. Big stuff that friend of the show, Danny Whiskeyman, had him on a couple weeks ago. Shout out Danny Whiskeyman. He would be happy with this trade that we're about to talk about because... This feels like the number one trade 
of the offseason so far because it involves the number one overall pick. The Carolina Panthers trade up with the Chicago Bears for the number over, number one overall pick. And when we had Danny Whiskeyman on, he said this is what he wanted the Bears to do. But, you know, if you have the number one overall pick, you have your choice of guys. And the Jags last year, they were in a similar situation to what the Bears were in until they traded out of this pick where they kind of already had the quarterback. Obviously, Fields and Lawrence out of the same draft class. The Jags, though, the trade never really came about. There wasn't the quarterback in the class last, last year to make the teams go up and make the move for, but there wasn't the guy in the class in general either. And the Jags were forced to stay at number one overall and take their guy. And when they went off the board and went unconventional, and it was Trayvon Walker, like it was just, we didn't know. We just, we didn't know how that was going to play out. He was an unproven prospect, but all the physical attributes that you would want from a pass rusher. And it does seem like that pick might actually be a hit. Seems like at least he's going to be a good sidekick next to Josh Allen if he doesn't turn out to just be a straight menace himself. But the ability to have your pick of guys like the Jags did last year, it is a valuable thing. And the Bears had it this year, and they could have stayed up at number one. But like Whiskeyman said, he wanted to continue to collect the assets, and they got those. They got Carolina's number nine overall pick, their number 61 overall pick, so their second rounder this year. They got Carolina's 2024 first and Carolina's 2025 second. So so they go into the offseason with the most cap space in the league, $100 million, almost $100 million in cap space. And now they're going to enter the draft with all of this draft capital. But they also got, they got the receiver that they needed. Fields, been looking for a number one receiver. DJ Moore is at least a major, major upgrade than from anything that they've had there and a guy who honestly has just suffered long enough in Carolina, like Carolina might go out and get the guy in the draft, but DJ Moore has been through enough on the Panthers fields needs a receiver. DJ Moore needs a quarterback. So two guys that need each other, pair them up together. I think that's what you want if you're Chicago and Whiskeyman said, you know, he was hoping to fleece the Colts, maybe get Michael Pittman, that's kind of a lot to give up Pittman and the four to move up to number one. You know, maybe, maybe that's maybe it's not as many picks involved, but it's DJ Moore instead. I think he would, I think he would at least be happy with the fact that they've upgraded the receiver position in a trade that involved a lot. I think he would just be happy with the overall package. And I think most people, NFL media, NFL Twitter, I think most people in general are happy with the package that Chicago got. Holes now has come into Chicago, torn it down, cleared the cap space. He has fields there, field shown flashes. He hires Everflus. And now that he pulls this off, it's there's kind of like a little victory lap going on for him right now. They're in prime rebuild position with all the things that they have going for him. And, you know, with the moves now that they've made in free agency too, some of the signings and the guys that they were able to bring in there. And everybody's kind of looking at Carolina and wondering, you know, did did Carolina get fleeced in this deal? You know, they're trading up for the number one overall pick, but did they give up too much? DJ Moore and the picks wasn't an overpay. And there were also reports that came out after the trade as well that Carolina would even be willing to trade back again if they liked multiple guys in the draft. 
And if you don't have a quarterback in mind, if you don't have just a clear and obvious guy when you're trading up to number one, you know, historically, we would ask why would you be doing that if you're a team? But I think if you're a Carolina fan, I think it's going to be okay because you do have the number one overall pick. You're going to get a quarterback. And if the reports, the initial reports that came out when the trade was completed, if those reports are correct and the Panthers end up drafting CJ Stroud number one overall on draft night, like the Panthers are going to get a really good player. CJ Stroud, I think, is like a sneaky high level quarterback prospect. I think, I think Stroud versus the quarterback prospects we've had in like the last five, eight years, you know, the high level ones, obviously Herbert, Burrow, and all those guys have come out of the draft, Trevor Lawrence, Fields. But I think Stroud is tools athletically. I think all that stuff, I think he's sneakily scratching the heels of those guys. Obviously, he's not, it doesn't seem like he is right now the quarterback prospect that Burrow was. Trevor Lawrence, but I think some of the comparisons, like some of the comparisons that Stroud is getting right now, I don't think those comparisons are necessarily doing him justice when talking about the ceiling that this guy has as a quarterback prospect, because some of the comps that I've seen out there for Stroud right now, guys like Jared Goff, Teddy Bridgewater, even Goff was in a Super Bowl, but I don't think number one overall pick, we go back looking, we go back and look and say, Goff was necessarily like a big win there. But even like the high level comps that he's got, like Dak Prescott, like those comparisons are tough too, because it it's unfair to project the mental mistakes that Dak has made in his career. You know, some of the untimely interceptions, some of the clock management issues at the end of games in these playoff games, they've come up short the last couple seasons. You know, this stuff you can't like project on Stroud. You can Dax traits, Dax style, the way he plays the game. You know, Dax very, Dax very active at the line of scrimmage, very not a highly mobile guy at this point in his career, but can move when he has to, can make every throw you need him to, puts up great numbers. Like all of those things I think are fair to attribute to Stroud. And if you look at the college football playoff game that he played, I think that is the single best quarterback performance of any quarterback last year, the single best quarterback game. I think he answered a lot of questions about his ability to create plays with his legs, his ability to throw on the run. I just think we saw him in a moment when he had to do things. He did them. And when you're when you're in Ohio State and you're in the Big Ten and you're winning these games, by 30 points, 40 points, you're, you you know, you're not playing in the game with that kind of aggression as a quarterback, but you're also not just approaching the game in general. Like, you know, you're not hyping yourself up going into a game as Georgia against the way you are against some of these big 10 teams. We're probably not seeing Stroud put the full arsenal on display, but that Georgia game, if you just look at that and go, that's what this guy can be. Like he is a really high level quarterback prospect. I think some of the indecision, some of the question marks, some of the wondering why, the wondering if this is a good trade for Carolina is because there is one quarterback prospect that could be a wrench in this whole thing, could be a guy that the Panthers look at and end up talking themselves into, but is not a guy that seems to have the quote-unquote floor that Stroud has, does not seem to be as 
I guess, quote unquote, as safe a prospect as Stroud is. But Anthony Richardson, I think most people would agree, has the highest upside of any quarterback in the draft. Athletically, I mean, just look at what he did at the combine. Athletically, the way he tested out and what he displayed could be the best athlete at the quarterback position the game has ever seen. Like, that's how special those numbers were. That's how special when you put everything together was. Like, he was obviously, like, top of the charts for the quarterback position this season, but top of the charts for the quarterback position, like, all time. And for this season and this combine, I think, like, just on some of the testing, like, the jump, the vertical, the broad jump, I just top of the combine in general, like, insane level athlete i think did it go to texas with sam i think they might have they it likes sam better i think they might have snuck onto the van we'll see if they fact check me but i think some of the jump stuff was just straight up some of the highest in the combine and athletically anyways there's no denying that at the quarterback position he is a special special athlete displayed some special special throwing ability as well at Florida, you know, the numbers aren't great. Some of the production stuff will have time to break down between now and the draft, but athletically what he is capable of, it's going to be really hard for a team that needs a quarterback that is looking for a quarterback that they can, you know, build a franchise around. Like this team has, the Panthers have good young pieces in place. JC Horn is one of the better young corners in the league. Brian Burns continues to produce. Derek Brown is coming off the best season of his career. He was a top seven pick. He's, you know, back trending in the right direction, back to being like the high level prospect that we thought he was when he was coming out. The offensive line is reworked. It's not, it wouldn't be a disastrous offensive line for a quarterback to learn behind, especially if Aquanu continues to grow. Moten's there. There's at least some above average guys. They could continue to grow that as well. And now that they brought in Frank Reich, a guy who had a run in Indy, but because of the instability was never able to build, you know, anything long-term, at least he had a run as a really good head coach. We know Frank Reich can do a good job. We know he is good with the quarterbacks. You want to maximize this position that you're in as a franchise. If you really want to do that and take full advantage, you know, the infinite upside of Anthony Richardson is just, it's going to be hard to pass on. When you're looking at him next to Stroud, next to Bryce Young, next to his size, Levis, there's just too many question marks, I think, at this point with him. It's going to come down to Richardson and Stroud. And where the league is going, where the quarterback position is going, and you know what skills it takes for a quarterback to be baseline competent in the NFL to be successful You know, the skills that it takes for a quarterback to run a successful offense are changing. They are not what they used to be back in the day with pocket passers. You want guys conventional standing in the pocket. Just having an athlete like Richardson can make playing quarterback easier in the NFL almost. You know, if you're going to trade up for the number one overall pick and you're going to have your choice of guys and you're going to say, hey, we're locking down a guy to build our franchise around for the foreseeable future. Do you really want to pass up on the upside that Anthony Richardson has, you know, taking Stroud's the kind of move that I think everybody in the room, you know, can kind of get behind. Everybody knows, you know, Hey, he's going to be, he's bringing in these definite skills. There's a good chance in year one that he's, you know, he's going to be a good player, going to be a good starter, going to be ready to go in year one, able to produce. 
make the fan base, make ownership, make everybody just feel good and make everybody competent in the rebuild. I think Stroud, you look at it and go, year one, could he do those things? But long-term, what Richardson brings, I think is going to be hard to pass on. And I think some of this indecisiveness with the Panthers, the Panthers saying, if we have to choose, you know, if we're okay with picking between guys, we're willing to trade back. Some of this stuff is because I think these teams, a lot of these teams at the top of the draft, see Richardson as the number one guy, as the guy that they would want the most anyways, as you know, the quarterback prospect that everybody wants, because athletically and the talent that he's shown, it's just, it's a unique, he's a special, special player. And to pass on that would be tough to do if you're a franchise, but Stroud, I think, is going to be a very, very, very good quarterback. I don't necessarily think it would be a mistake for Carolina to ultimately take him at number one, but I don't know if they're going to be able to trade back again. And if you look at the last team to trade up for a quarterback and not really know who they wanted to take, you know, the Niners ended up with Trey Lance. And they gave up three first-round picks to move up to number three, it seemed like for a while it might be might be Mac Jones. I know there was a lot of people that thought Fields was the second best prospect in the quarterback prospect in the draft, and they would have had it. The Niners would have had had a chance to take him at that three pick, but ultimately they went with Lance. And we are going to see really this offseason how that move plays out for this franchise. But there's a lot of question marks right now around it. And if you're Carolina, the history of trading up and not knowing who your guy is. I wonder if they're indecisive because Richardson is just clearly the most tempting quarterback prospect in the draft. We'll see how it plays out for the Panthers, but they are in control. They are the first domino now in the NFL draft. They have the number one overall pick. And if you're the Bears, the rebuild seems to be off to a banger start. Hopefully, Whiskeyman, you're happy with this trade. But another big trade that went down, Jalen Ramsey, for the second time in his career, is on the move. And the Dolphins, oh yeah, Jalen Ramsey is on his way to the Miami Dolphins. He trades in the beaches and sunshine of LA for the uh, yeah beaches and sunshine of South Beach, Miami. And I guess back in Florida, too. Played in Jacksonville, drafted in Jacksonville, played at Florida State. The man has only known good weather in his career. And that 2019 Jags-Rams trade, when the Rams got Jalen Ramsey, they had to give up two first-round picks and a fourth-round pick. It was the 2019 season. The Rams gave up a pick in the upcoming drafts. The, what was the 2020 draft? They gave up a first-round pick in the 2021 draft as well, the pick that would end up becoming Travis Etienne. And they gave up a fourth-round pick. Only three years later, the Rams are trading him away, Jalen Ramsey, to the Dolphins for just a third-round pick and a backup tight end. IT, if you're out there, please send me the name of the backup tight end. But I don't know what's going on with the trades in the NFL right now. I don't understand what's going on. The value of all this stuff doesn't really make any sense sometimes. I mean, this if you're an NFL fan, you know this. If you looked at the trade machine, you know this. 
The Dolphins gave up a first round pick for Bradley Chubb and only a third round pick for Jalen Ramsey. And I think most people would agree that Jalen Ramsey is a better football player than Bradley Chubb. The the Giants gave up a third round pick for Darren Waller. Darren Waller, again, Jalen Ramsey, I think is a better football player than Darren Waller. I don't think that that's crazy controversial to say. I don't know if their contracts either. I don't know if their contract situations right now either. I don't know if either one is if Waller's more valuable contract in his position than Jalen Ramsey is. So I don't understand how this is just a third round pick. We'll have to ask Sam about this when he's back. But now that the Dolphins have Jalen Ramsey, and if you want to look at the model of the team that Jalen Ramsey was just on, the Rams, when they won the Super Bowl in the 2021 season, they were able to win the Super Bowl With Matt Stafford. Matt Stafford's a guy that we all said, you know, put him in the right situation. He can be a winning quarterback. He can have success. Detroit was obviously not that. They were unable to win a playoff game when his tenure there, which it is actually kind of incredible that you can have like a decade of not winning a playoff game. People still be like, hey, you know, this guy, he can do it. He can do it. You get traded and then you actually do it. You know, shout out to Matt Stafford for that. But to have a guy that is above the line, for whatever the line is of Super Bowl winning type quarterback. Matt Stafford is clearly, he's not the best quarterback in the league. He's not really been in competition for that in his career, but he is a guy that, again, you put him in the right situation and we think he can lead a team. And he did it. Got the team to the Super Bowl. They beat the Bengals. They won. And if you're the Dolphins and you're a Dolphins fan and you think, Tua is, or at least can be, above that line, then modeling your roster off after that Rams roster, like the Rams had Cooper Cup, best receiver in the league, Aaron Donald, best defender in the league, and they have Jalen Ramsey, obviously. The Dolphins, now that they have Ramsey, also have Tyreek Hill, who, in my opinion, best receiver in the league, and defensively, have a couple of young guys who, you know, they don't have an Aaron Donald on defense. They don't have a guy who, at this point, looks like could be like best defensive player in the league type player. But they do have a lot of young guys that if they continue to grow and continue to step up, they're going to have a really deep, really solid defense. Christian Wilkins last year had eight sacks. 26 tackles for a loss. Played arguably the best football of his career. Same with Jalen Phillips, who eight sacks his rookie year, seven sacks last year, but he had 25 QB hits last season. Tied for 12 in the league in QB hits. And eight out of the 10 leaders in that stat category made the Pro Bowl. So if Jalen Phillips has a leap in his third year, Christian Wilkins continues to grow. They already have Xavier Howard at cornerback, who on his best day, like in his own right, can be a number one cornerback in the league. Now, like week to week is your number two option. They already have him. They have Javon Holland, who's a stud safety. Add Ramsey to this group. Like there's a lot of pieces on this defense where the formula is in place for this team to be a competitive team because offensively they're there. They have Tyreek. They have their Cooper Cup. They also have Jalen Waddell. And I still have Tua Stock. 
If you want to sell me your Tua stock, if the Tua stock is taking a dip, I'm going to buy the dip. I still believe. I don't think the questions with Tua next season are going to be about his ability at the quarterback position. If you look at the first nine games he played last year, he was 69% completion percentage, 19 touchdowns to only three interceptions, 115.7 quarterback rating, and he was on pace for over 4,800 yards. Tua was playing fantastic. They were winning games. The Dolphins' offense was explosive. Waddle and Hill were both top five in yards per target. Waddle was first. Hill was fifth. Chunk plays. Tua distributing. Efficient. But I think, you know, the injuries really last year obviously derailed his season. And it wasn't just that he missed time. You know, that Packers game, that last game he played, you know, I think you can go back and look at that now and say, you know, there's clearly, it was clearly had some effect on his throws some effect on the way he was seeing the game. And even with kind of the slump that he had the last couple games of the season where things weren't going great, he was still able to lead the league overall in passer rating, finished with 105. Mahomes had 105 too. They were separated by decimals, but Tua was right up there. And now that they have Ramsey, now that the defense just has a chance to really be one of the top, I think, units in terms of number of elite guys in the team now that they have that on defense if Tua can come back be healthy produce be efficient all that stuff it's going to be a tough out in an AFC that is you know it's stacked and it's going to get more stacked if Rodgers goes to the Jets like the AFC the AFC East is going to have Josh Allen Aaron Rodgers two in the Dolphins Bill Belichick and the Patriots like it's going to be a stacked division Mahomes is up Mahomes Herbert, Wilson, Garoppolo in another division, Burrow and Lamar and Watson for now all in the AFC North as well. Kenny Pickett trying his best to keep up. The road is not going to be easy for the Dolphins. It's going to be tough. They're not going to be necessarily favored with Tua going into matchups against the Bills, you know, going into matchups against Joe Burrow, Mahomes, against these top guys, you know, and they really, they shouldn't be at this point. But I mean, you know, the offseason is we still have the whole offseason to go preseason. Things will change drastically. But as we stand right now, if this is the Dolphins going into next season against the rest of the NFL, like they're better off. This roster is sneaky, scary, sneaky, scary. I mean, Jalen Ramsey is still he made first team all pro back to back years in 2020 and 2021. And unfortunately, he didn't make. Either of the All-Pro teams last year, Sauce Gardner and Sertan got the first-team All-Pro spots. Understandable, you know, the two young cornerstone cornerbacks in the league. I get it. They had amazing seasons. But other than those two guys, like, I'm not really taking anybody else over Jalen Ramsey. I still trust him the most. I still think even just snap to snap, you know, you get in trouble with guys like Marshawn Lattimore. Even Ramsey's teammate now, Xavier Howard, has some games where there are penalties and big plays. But Ramsey, in my mind, is still elite, all-pro level corner. And if you have him, Wilkins and Phillips on the defensive line continue to grow. And the secondary is deep. The Dolphins are going to be nasty. The Dolphins are going to be nasty. Big win for the Dolphins. Free agency is now in full effect as well. All of the tampering periods, restrictions, blah, 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 blah. They're all passed. 
money is being thrown around. We'll get into some of the bigger stuff with Sam, some of this big picture team stuff that's going on around the league right now. The Niners and what they're doing. They've got Hargrave, but they've lost a lot of talent. Denver reinvests in the offensive line, spent almost $140 million there. Garoppolo's on the Raiders. Edmonds is on the Bears. There's just a lot of free agency stuff going on right now. There's a lot of stuff to sift through, but a couple of quick moves that need to be hit before we get to the NBA. Seattle. And I don't know, is this is this maybe a wind horse moment here? What is going on in Seattle? Because Seattle made a couple of interesting free agency signings. And maybe it's not just what's going on in Seattle. It's really what is going on and what does the league think of Jalen Carter right now? Because Seattle went out and they signed two interior defensive linemen. They signed Draymond Jones away from Denver. They gave him three years, $51 million dollars. And they signed Jerron Reed away from Green Bay, two years, $10.8 million. Seattle right now sitting top five in the draft, the number five overall pick. And and with the quarterback hype that's building right now and the teams that are moving, the teams that are in position, if four quarterbacks go off the board in the first four picks, like Seattle's going to have their pick of any defensive lineman that they want. And... And I think there was a time where if Jalen Carter was at five for Seattle, I think that was best case scenario. His size, athletic, just throw offensive lineman around on tape combination. I think he's the best on tape football prospect in the draft. And I think if you're a team and you you were at five and you had a chance to get him, I think if you're Seattle, you're falling over yourself, but... A couple weeks ago, obviously the news comes out. We get the arrest warrants. You know, he's he's released on bail. He's not in prison. He's able to do the combine. But just being involved in that situation, it's a disastrous situation. It's not good for anybody. It's not what you want to see. And again, recording this Wednesday night, Georgia's pro day was today, and a report came out via Mark Slaybach of ESPN that Jalen Carter at the Georgia Pro Day, he came out, he's nine pounds overweight or I guess nine pounds heavier than he was at the combine. Shouldn't say overweight. He is nine pounds heavier than he was at the combine, which was only two weeks ago. He skipped out on some of the athletic testing, like 40-yard dash, bench press, like all that stuff. Like That's understandable. But when he went to do the position drills, apparently there was some cramping, heavy breathing. It just, it just wasn't peak Jalen Carter at Georgia's pro day today, which is unfortunate that he had that showing combined with this news. And if you're Seattle and you're sitting at five, you know, it's kind of interesting that they already took care of the interior defensive lineman position. Draymond Jones, very good player, three years, 51 million is not a cheap contract. And Jaron Reed is just, you know, more good depth to have there. Will Anderson is obviously the most coveted edge at this point in the draft, but I don't think there's any guarantee that he's going to be there at number five. Arizona's got the number three pick. J.J. Watt just retired. Obviously, they could use Will Anderson. They could use a high-level guy. So there is a chance that Will Anderson's not even there. And if Seattle's kind of already invested in that interior defensive line spot, 
I wonder if there is a good chance that Tyree Wilson ends up being the number five overall pick in the draft because there has been some momentum growing around him. I know Daniel Jeremiah mocked him to three at Arizona. He actually mocked him over Will Anderson. It is kind of hard to see that happening. I mean, Will Anderson had almost double the amount of tackles per losses and sacks compared to Anderson over the last two years. Insanely productive, has all the traits to match. Like It would be hard to see a team actually take Wilson over Anderson, but this Jalen Carter stuff, the off-field incident, not having the best pro day showing, I wonder if Seattle looks at Wilson, they look at his traits, and physically he measures out, you know, he's pretty similar to last year's number one overall pick, Trayvon Walker, both the same height, Walker's 6'5", Wilson's 6'6". Trayvon Walker weighed 272 at the combine, Wilson weighed in at 271. Trayvon Walker has 35 and a half inch arms. Tyree Wilson's arms are actually longer than Trayvon Walker's, 35 and 5 eighth inch arms. They're both freak athletes, freak size. Tyree Wilson even produced more than Trayvon Walker did. Maybe there is just a world where Seattle looks at Wilson and they're more tempted by it. Because we, Whis- Whiskeyman, when he came on and we talked about the Bears, it was right after that Jalen Carter news. And Carter at that point was in the argument for the number one overall pick if the Bears had kept that. And after that news, he was like, he's like, you know, the locker room stuff, that stuff matters to teams. And as a fan of the team, you know, if you have Will Anderson or whatever on the board, you know, maybe just we'd rather have that in the locker room and we can still get like a really high level guy. These guys, Will Anderson is obviously no consolation prize, really good prospect, but it's going to be interesting to see now with this stuff starting to pile up for Carter. Now that there's been a couple of things, you know, how far is the slide going to happen for this guy? Because on tape, like I said, I think he is the best prospect on tape in this draft. I think he had real first team, all pro level upside, Chris Jones, Quinn Williams, like all the best, most destructive tackles in the league. Like compare him to those guys, him falling out of the top five, would have seemed impossible. Now with the first bit of news, now with the second bit of news, top five now is realistic. And you wonder just how far it could go because Simons, he slid into the teens and I want to say even the 20s, Jeffrey Simmons, when he came out, sorry, from uh, Mississippi State. It would be hard to see Carter at this point. You know, the Raiders at seven, Atlanta's still at eight, the Bears at nine, the Bears trading back from one to nine and still having a chance to get him. The Eagles at 10 having a chance to pair him up with Jordan Davis again and reunite the Georgia defensive line. Seeing him slide past those teams, it seems like a bit of a reach, but, you know, who knows with the interview process, he's going to talk to these teams. Who knows what maybe, you know, they continue to uncover what continues to happen. Who knows what happened? The Raiders, yes, they solved the, they brought in Garoppolo, but if the right guys on, if the right quarterbacks on the board at seven, they're not going to pass on the quarterback over Carter. Same with Atlanta and the Bears at nine. The Northwestern lineman seems like a perfect fit. Seems like he fills a need and seems like he too is also like maybe top three prospect level in this draft. 
seems like he would be hard to pass on. So the Eagles at 10 is kind of like maybe your last shot. And you know, do they want to put up with the drama? It, it just who knows how it plays out for Carter. I love his upside as a player. So I always wish the best for him because of that, because obviously you want to see these guys succeed and he's been so dominant. He's deserved to be in the discussion at the top of the draft, but you also get to deal with the consequences and that is what's happening for Jalen Carter. And I'm sure it's not helping with this pro day stuff. I'm sure it's affected his preparation. I'm sure if you're a team and you go, you know, you think long-term, you think you put him in normal football situations, he can be an elite guy. But we will see what happens with Jalen Carter. We will see if Draymond Jones and Jaron Reed fill the need for Seattle. We will see where they lean with that number five pick. But there will be momentum around Tyree Wilson. That is for sure. He will be going very, very high. He will be going very soon after five, if not at five a couple more moves that were made atlanta atlanta has been quietly one of the more busier teams so far in free agency it's early on but they've made a lot of moves they spent a lot of money they've locked down a couple of their offensive linemen which is good chris lindstrom got the bag from atlanta he got five years 105 million they also re-signed Caleb Gary to three years, 334. But they went out and brought in a couple of the more coveted free agents as well. They got Jesse Bates, the safety from the Bengals. They got him on a four-year, $64 million deal. They brought in David Onyemeta from the Saints, three years, $24 million. They also brought in Caden Ellis from the Saints. They gave him three years, $21 million. Caden Ellis had kind of like a sneaky breakthrough season last year. Didn't do much his first couple, but played well last year. Earned himself a long-term deal. They also went out and traded for Johnny Smith. So a lot of activity for Atlanta. And the Jesse Bates signing is especially weird because if you look at the teams that are around Atlanta in the draft, Vegas at seven went out and they got Garoppolo. So they got some kind of quarterback ins insurance if they don't get their guy in the draft. Carolina at nine obviously moved up to number one. So Chicago at nine with Fields, they're set. Atlanta at nine with Ritter is, at Ritter is, you know, Bates is just an interesting move to make with the franchise in that position because I, I love Bates. Like I Bates, I think is, Underrated. I think safeties in general general are underrated, undervalued positions when it comes to you know how important these guys are in teams. But paying safeties big money is like a good team move. And the Falcons with Ritter, it's gonna be tough to see them being a competitive team, at least for next year with Ritter as the starter, because he might need more time to develop than just what he showed than just the games that he got last year. And if you look at the other highest paid safeties in the league, he's Jesse Bates is now the fourth highest paid safety in the league by average annual value. If you look at the other highest paid safeties, Derwin James is on the Chargers. The Chargers are trying to be good. Minka Fitzpatrick on the Steelers. They're trying to be good. Jamal Adams 
the Seahawks got him when they were trying to be good, when they had Russell Wilson and they thought, you know, they're still trying to compete. Same with Harrison Smith on the Vikings. You know, they're talking themselves into Kirk Cousins, telling themselves they have a shot. Justin Simmons on the Broncos. You know, do the Falcons think that they're going to be a good team or are they positioning themselves to be a good team for somebody? Because I know that they've said they're out on Lamar, but now that the Jets quarterback position may fill up with Aaron Rodgers, now that at least it seems at this point, Wednesday night, March 15th, that that's at least where he wants to go. If that's, if Rodgers fills the Jets spot and Lamar's not able to go there and he's not able to go to Baltimore, Atlanta's a team that I know a lot of people have pegged him to. I know a lot of people have pointed that he might go there, that that would be a good fit, what they do. And Bates is a good player. You want to have good players on your team. But when it comes to where do we spend our money, where do we invest in a rebuild, a safety is a good team move. I don't know if you're thinking about yourself as a good team with Ritter next year, but maybe Atlanta is still positioning themselves to make a move. Because the other teams around in the draft, like I said, they've already done something. Vegas got Garoppolo. Carolina made a trade. They are prepared for a quarterback not being there. And Atlanta may follow suit. They may decide they may, they may, they may need to make a move to ensure they lock down the quarterback position and We'll see where this we'll see how this Lamar thing plays out in Baltimore, but there's just no talks of progress. I don't even know if talks are being done at this point. And I know Atlanta doesn't want to negotiate and work on a deal now, but if the price becomes right, I mean, how can you say no to Lamar, MVP level guy, what, 26 years old, ready to enter the peak of his powers. Like, I, I just, if the price becomes right, how can you say no to that? You'd at least have to entertain the idea. And yeah, I mean, now that you have Bates, you're at least prepared to be a good team. Anya Meta, I like the offensive line. You know, they're going to continue to keep that solid. And they have the other young pieces too. Pitts and London as young pieces are, are great cornerstone skill guys. Algier even too prove that he can hold down the running back position. You know, you don't necessarily need to invest in that. You don't have to. Patterson is still there for a rotation role. So they are in a position where if they made a move for a guy like Lamar, like it would be a good place for him to come to. It wouldn't be, I think, necessarily a rebuild position. And again, in that division, it's wide open. Any of these teams could win it depending on who ends up being the quarterback there next season. The only one where we know for for certain right now Derek Carr on the Saints, and I think if you're a team, you can at least look at that bar and go, hey, we can clear that bar, or we can build a roster and get a team that can clear that bar. So we'll see what Atlanta does. We'll see if they ride it out with Ritter. We'll see if somebody falls in their lap. We'll see if they make the move, but the Bates one is curious because, again, the safety things, you do that if you're a good team. You can just go buy it on the Titans. Like The Titans were trying to win with Tannehill the last couple of years. It's just the Bengals have to invest their money elsewhere. So they were not able to invest in safeties this offseason, which I think is going to be unfortunate for them. But the fact that Atlanta went out and spent the money there, they're at least prepared to make a move for quarterback if they want to. Another free agent I thought that was a sleeper free agent 
you know, some of the big names are off the board already. McGlinchey to Edmonds, Garoppolo's gone, Hargrave, obviously. But another under-the-radar free agent. He was on my wish list for the Colts. I didn't know if there was a chance that Ballard would go out and get him. But Marcus Davenport ended up on the Vikings instead. Minnesota gives Davenport a one-year, $13 million deal. And Davenport, high-pedigree guy, 13th overall pick in the draft. Big athlete-type player, special, special athlete. And Minnesota is already kind of sneaky deep at pass rusher. Daniil Hunter's there. Remember, they bring in Darius Smith last offseason. So add Marcus Davenport to that pass rush room. And Pro Football Focus had him graded out last season as the 26th edge out of 120 edge players with a grade of 76.8. He's had trouble staying healthy, only played 500 snaps one time in his career, but six sacks in 2019, nine sacks in 2021 and he's been a really good third pass rusher cam jordan obviously led the defensive line at new orleans trey hendrickson was emerging his last couple of seasons there so you put him in a similar similar role in minnesota next to hunter next to smith that's like a sneaky good pass rush and if you're minnesota and you're trying to foolproof this roster around Kirk cousins that's a good step it's a one-year deal doesn't put you in harm's way when we're talking long-term, the Jefferson extension, all of that stuff. They're going to get that done. They will lock him down. But I like this signing. I think it's under the radar. They are obviously the dominant team in that, well, quote-unquote, dominant team in that division. Rodgers is on his way out. The Lions and the Bears are just, you know, the Lions are unproven and the Bears are just, you know, more a work in progress at this point. The Vikings have a clear path to win that division, they won it easily last year, and they should do it again. But in the grand scheme, competing in the NFC, this move is really going to help strengthen that pass rush. Adding that depth is nice to have. So really liked the Davenport to the Vikings signing. One year, $13 million. The last couple signings, a little Colts and Chiefs corner, of course, we have to... Keep updated on what the teams are up to. Even though Sam's not here, we'll make sure to mention the Chiefs. Their big signing was obviously Jawan Taylor. They went out and got the tackle to replace Orlando Brown, I guess. Four years, $80 million for Jawan Taylor. But Orlando Brown's a left tackle. Jawan Taylor's a right tackle. But I guess he's going to play left tackle. We'll see how that works. It would have been nice if there was a world where they were able to work a long-term deal and get a guy like Jawan Taylor because they actually could use a right tackle. They were playing Trey Smith, I think, a lot of the time at right tackle last season. And Trey Smith, you can kick him into guard. Really, his more natural position. They were able to get away with playing three guards last year. So Taylor would actually... Taylor in his natural position could actually help this team with Orlando Brown back, but... I don't know if realistically now there is a world where they can keep Orlando Brown and negotiations may have just been broken down in general between him and the team. But the protection that they gave Mahomes in the Super Bowl, hopefully it doesn't get lost when talking about that game because it was special, especially when you consider what the Eagles pass rush did last year. One of the highest you know, pass rush rates, sack totals the NFL has seen, a very deep group. And they didn't even touch Mahomes. 
they didn't get to him. It was it was really sneaky all time stuff from the offensive line. And Orlando Brown was a huge piece of that. It's Creed Humphrey in the middle there, but Orlando Brown at left tackle. Major, major piece of that. Jawan Taylor, it's going to be hard to fill that role. But they did make another under-the-radar signing that was very nice. They got Charles Amenu from the Niners. Apologies for butchering the name, but two-year, $20 million deal. He's just like a solid rotation pass rush guy. Huge part of that 49ers defense. Had four sacks in 2020, four and a half sacks in 2022. 16 QB hits in both of those seasons. And last season played a career high in snaps, 54% of the defensive snaps for the San Francisco 49ers. So they the Chiefs moved on from Frank Clark. It was one of the first moves they made. Karloftis is obviously a very long-term young guy, but this move gives him depth. He's a guy who's proven he can pull off playing that rotation pass rusher role successfully and getting him on a favorable contract as well. I mean, same with Juwan Taylor. It's like four years, 80 million. Orlando Brown's looking to be closer. You know, he's trying to be one of the highest paid tackles in the league, deservedly so. He's insanely talented. The Chiefs, you just, you got to do these budget type things sometimes to keep all these guys around. And I like this move on defense for the Chiefs. I think this is perfect. The other 49ers pass rusher that I really liked as a free agent, Samson Ebucom. He ended up on the Colts. So shout out to both of our teams making smart moves, getting guys off of the 49ers defense. If you come, this might be the best signing Ballard's ever made, honestly. Ballard never spends money. He's only spent $10 million on a free agent contract two times in his run as the Colts GM. He gave Phillip Rivers $25 million for one year. Gilmore, $20 million for two years. Gilmore, obviously, they just traded for a fifth-round pick. Compensatory pick from the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys getting Gilmore, I think they won the trade. But but Ballard never spends money. And as a budget, you know, value, low-cost rotation guy signing, Ed becomes a, a great piece for that. He is what they need. They need pass rush depth. And he's produced the last couple seasons as well. He'll give you four and a half sacks each of the last four seasons, five seasons, double-digit QB hits in most of those. And I think if you go back to that iconic Chiefs-Rams Monday night football game, the 51-54 game, you know, he has the touchdown in that game. He is a force in that game. Been in playoff situations as well on the Rams and on the Niners last year, so... So if you just, you know, production, need, value, Ballard nailed it with this signing. Three years, $21 million for Samson Ebucom. So shout out to the Colts. Shout out to the Chiefs for those moves. We'll get into the other bigger stuff. Like I said, with Sam, the NFL offseason is only going to continue to heat up. We're getting closer to the draft. There are still some big names floating around. Lamar Jackson saga, Aaron Rodgers saga. All these sagas have to come to an end at some point. So... We will have time to go through these other NFL things. Okay, NBA, without Sam here, we're going to keep it simple. We're going to keep it short. We're going to keep it sweet. Stretch run power rankings. So we're playoff time. We're in the last you know month or so of the regular season. Then we're going to hit the play-in games, the playoffs, all that stuff. So before we hit award season, I March Madness 2, that is 
tomorrow, today, I guess, probably when you're listening to this. So before we hit the stretch run and all the, the craziness of basketball season really picks up, for the NBA, we're going to do a quick stretch run power rankings, top 10 teams in the NBA. And this is not overly complicated, some top 10, you know, top 10 most likely to win the title, looking at the path and the situation and all that stuff. This is just who are the best teams in the league headed into the final stretch of the season? So starting off with number one, no surprise, best team in the league, probably because they are headed by the best player in the league. The Milwaukee Bucks are the number one team. And honestly, it's just this version of the Milwaukee Bucks is totally fine, totally enough to win the NBA championship. And I mean this version of the Milwaukee Bucks with Chris Middleton playing the way he is. And he's continuing to progress, continuing to recover from his injury and play better. 16 points a game recently, 42% from three. So he's starting to get back to where he was a little bit. But even with this, you know, handicap version of Chris Middleton, just having him out there on the floor with Holiday, with Giannis, that's the best in the league. That's since the All-Star break. Those numbers are since the All-Star break. 16 and a half points a game, 42% from three. His offensive rating is up as well. And if you look at what the Bucks have done recently without Giannis, he's missed a couple games with injuries. The win versus the Suns, the Suns didn't have Durant, obviously, but Booker was still out there. No Giannis, they're able to get the win. And then they 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 pushed the Warriors to overtime and really should have beat the Warriors. Steph just insane at the end of the game. Crazy Steph shots, pulls it off in overtime. They get the win, but... Without Giannis, the fact that the Bucs pushed the Warriors to overtime, I think it's a credit to them. And I think, you know, it's disappointing that they pretend, you know, they very much left that game on the table and very much had a chance to win the game. But the fact that they had a chance to win the game without Giannis is a good thing. The core of this Bucks team, rock solid, most solid core in the NBA. And Drew Holiday, just as we hit the stretch run here, I hope that Drew Holiday at least gets a little bit of love in these All-NBA conversations. And I think that Golden State game specifically would have helped. He makes a couple plays at the end of that game, turnovers, misses a couple shots, has a foul as well, I think, just at an untimely moment. I don't want to start just making stuff up, but Holiday did have a couple unholiday like plays at the end of that Warriors game. But if they have a, you know, if they're able to pick up a couple wins without Giannis like that, and he just... The Bucks, the best team in the league, Holiday as a two-way guy. There just is a world where the All-NBA love for Holiday would have picked up. I still personally have him in those conversations. Last year, I would have had him on, on third-team All-NBA, and I think he's going to have a case again this year. I just, what he does defensively and being a 20-point-a-game scorer. And again, in these in these games against the Suns and the Warriors, who I... These teams right now are not the dominant teams that they were. The Suns didn't have Durant when they played, and the Warriors are not the same Warriors teams from, you know, a handful of years ago, but still contending teams. They're going in without Giannis, and they're toe-to-toe with these teams. They even beat the Suns, so Holiday should be getting love in these all-NBA conversations. Yeah, I don't know if ultimately he's going to make it this year. I would have had him on last year, wish he had made it over Trey Young, but... 
deserves to be mentioned as we head down the stretch. So Milwaukee's the number one team. The next two teams are the Nuggets and the Suns, and you could have them in either order. The only reason that I would say the Nuggets first right now would be just because of the because of the Durant injury. The video, I think, even if you go online, there's a still image of the turned ankle. It doesn't look good. It's nasty, and he may even miss the remainder of the regular season as well. And before the Durant trade, Booker obviously was enough in the regular season to get this team 50-plus wins, and they were even 60-plus wins last year. But even without Chris Paul, you know, playing high-level Chris Paul, Aiton with him being an up and down Booker on this team pre-Durant was enough to be a 50-win team. They had a 50%. They had the win percentage of a 50-win team when he was starting for them. But now that Bridges and Johnson are gone, when Durant misses time, obviously the team is just not enough around Booker. And Chris Paul is having his worst shooting season maybe of his career. Eight and there continues to be question marks around him. So I think with Durant missing time right now, I think the Nuggets have to be above the Suns, but I do think it's going to be interesting as we hit the stretch. I think the one thing with the Nuggets that gets lost over the course of the regular season is the defense with Jokic. And if you go back to the playoffs and look at their matchup against the Warriors last year, Jokic gets a pass for that playoff series. Everybody on the Nuggets is hurt. The only guys that played minutes in that series and that are on the team now this season are Jokic, Aaron Gordon, and Jeff Green. Those three guys, that's it. Everybody else is off the team. Will Barton, he's on the Raptors now via the Wizards. Monte Morris still on the Wizards. Austin Rivers is on the Timberwolves. Bones Highland on the Clippers. Forbes on the Timberwolves. Jermichael Green is on the Warriors. DeMarcus Cousin and Frank Composio are out of the league. But the team is totally different than it was last year. They didn't have Murray. They didn't have Porter. But the one thing that the Warriors did and the one thing that the Warriors attacked was Jokic. The one thing that the Nuggets have consistent between this season and last season is Jokic. And it was the one weakness that the Warriors looked to explo- exploit in that playoff game, they attacked him in pick and roll time and time again. And if you look at some of the games that they played recently, it's been kind of interesting. I think the Raptors did that the other night with Pirtle. They played him a couple times, hung with him, beat him the other night. They really went after him with Pirtle just time and time again. So it's just it's going to be interesting that you pl- you know, you play a regular season, the advanced stats, you look at the defense, the box plus minus, all that stuff. Jokic statistically on defense looks really good, but we know in the playoff games that's what the teams attack. And even even if the Nuggets come in, play, you know, fully healthy playing peak basketball, the one thing that the teams attacked last year is going to be the team, the things that the teams attacked this year, and that's going to be Jokic in the pick and roll and. Porter is playing better as of late. The last 20 games since he's come back from injury, he's nearly 19 points a game. He's 52% from the field and 43% from the three. So having him playing like that, if Murray can continue to consistent, he's up and down. You know, he'll have a four-game stretch where he's 25 points a game, 54 to 90 guy, and then he'll go back into a slump again. But With Porter playing the way he is, Gordon's 
having a career year. Jokic obviously competing for MVP. The Nuggets, the depth, all of it together, I think they still have to be up at the top. So the Nugget, the Nuggets are two. The Suns with Durant, I think three, you could put him in two, but Durant's out right now. So we'll leave him behind the Nuggets. But at number four, we have the Celtics, second best team in the East. No really question marks around this team. We kind of know what they are at this point. They're three and five in their last eight. You know, some injury stuff, Tatum uh, up and down. It's the end of the season. We're getting there. They've been consistent throughout the season. I think I think they're safely a top five team. The body of work at this point is too impressive. So number five, the Warriors. And it's the Warriors because... If if Steph is just going to play like Steph is playing this year, the Warriors just have to be title contenders. And Klay Thompson is playing better as well. And I know they're not getting the contributions from Jordan Poole that they were last year. Wiggins, before he had to step away from the team, he was not, you know, just defensively, he was not the same two-way player he was last year. Hopefully everything's okay with his situation. We want that to be resolved, obviously. Hopefully he can come back to the team as soon as possible. But this is just the best version of Steph we've seen on a basketball court. It's funny because last season, yeah, he won the title. He had the finals MVP, but his regular season numbers were actually kind of down from his normal regular season numbers. It was the first time in his career he ever finished under 40% shooting from three-point career low, you know, near or nearly career low in field goal percentage. He was only 20, oh, I say only 25 points a game as well in the regular season, but won the finals, won the finals MVP, all that gets washed away. In the regular season this year, he's 29 points a game, his third highest point per game average. It's his second highest field goal percentage average, his second highest effective field goal percentage, and his third highest true shooting percentage. It's almost like last season he was kind of adjusting to this play style where he's now that he has bulked up and gotten bigger and gotten stronger over his career, he's been able to branch out the type of shots that he takes, the ability that he just has to get shots over guys of any size now at any spot on the floor. And kind like Kyrie was always good at that, where Steph, even at his peak, was still more like shooter based with his shot package but Kyrie you could just like think about that like spin move that Christmas Day game winner he hit against Clay Thompson like that's just not necessarily a shot you see Steph you would have seen like early peak Steph taking but definitely now you could see him take that and seems like he could literally just make any shot on a basketball court at this point if he's going to be playing like this they still have to be in the title can tender category they still have to be he can still drag them back to the finals wouldn't be shocked the warriors have to come in at number five in the stretch run power rankings at number six we have the sixers i really hope Embiid is able to make some sort of run here and not even just like a run at the mvp not even just a run to finish the regular season like what can this guy do in the playoffs he's been so dominant the last couple years the fact that he's missed out on the MVP the last two seasons, the fact that he can miss out on again, just walk away from this run without anything, is not being first-team All-NBA because of Jokic as well. I just want to see him have some kind of run here, but it's going to be tough to do on this team, even with Harden 
playing. Like Harden's kind of res- Harden's kind of had a resurgence as well. On the season, career high in three-point percentage, 39.8%. He's leading the league in, in assists at 10.8%. And his last 20 games, he is 42.4% from three. So he's weirdly like really efficient as a shooter this year, mostly because he's not doing the step-backy stuff. It's a lot of more stationary catch-and-shoot stuff. The space that he generates for Embiid is great when both of those guys are on the court and they can can just control the pace of the game, get to the line, slow things down. Harden, again, is making these shots at the highest rate that he's made in his career. It is really dangerous. It's as good as anything else in the league, but the drop-off from the level that those two guys are playing at right now to the rest of this team is just going to be too much for them to overcome. If you look at box plus minus per 100 possession per 100 possessions, the role guys in this team, Melton, Harris, Maxi, Niang, Tucker, Dan- McDaniels, who they acquired over the trade deadline, like all these guys are in the one to negative numbers range. Like they're all in the in the range of numbers that guys that it's like zero impact guys. They're not giving up any points when they're in the game, but they're not generating any points in the game. They just keep you steady, and it's just too much for Harden and Embiid to overcome. Those guys can play at a high level and keep them hanging with these competitive teams, but I just think stretch run, they don't have enough. At number seven, you hate to see it. You hate to have them this high, but if LeBron James comes back healthy... The Lakers are, I mean, you got to say it, they're peaking at the right time. I mean, the moves that they have made at the deadline have one, I mean, like was it when they brought in guys to make this a competent roster, but they've they've kind of fil- been able to filter out to the guys that they've had on this team before where they're peaking at the right time. And I was about as close as I've ever been to giving up on D'Angelo Russell. I didn't know if maybe it was just, you know, it's been too long at this point. Maybe it'll never come around for him. But then Carl Anthony Towns went down with an injury. And since Towns has been out, going back to when Russell was on the Timberwolves, since Towns was out till now, including his Lakers game. So the last 39 games that D'Angelo Russell has played, he is 20 points a game, six assists, 49-43-88 shooting splits. And that's always kind of been the one thing with his game. It's like, can he be an efficient player? If Russell was actually an efficient player, it would just make up for a lot of the stuff that he does that frustrates you. And he's actually being efficient these last nearly 40 games now, nearly, you know, last over half a season chunk that he's done 49-43-88 shooting splits on 20 points a game and six assists. Austin Reeves as well is playing out of his mind. The last eight games, he has 15 points a game. 57-50-82 shooting splits for Austin Reeves. And they're winning some of these games too. Beasley's been streaky. He's been up and down. If you get him more consistent, I mean, the role guys are just, it's way better than I think any Lakers fan thought it could have been thought. Just the possibility and the depth that they have, the fact that they turn what they had into this, I think as a Lakers fan, you look at this and you think best case scenario. And without LeBron, Davis is just 
elevated his game. He's almost better than he was early season Davis when he was just playing out of his mind before injuries started to catch up with him. And he's been playing so well that I almost wonder if he left some MVP stuff on the table recently. He had an eight-point performance in Toronto, and he had a 17-point performance against the Knicks, and they lost. Otherwise, you know, the last four or five games that he's played, he's been 35 points a game, 13 rebounds, two blocks. The Lakers franchise has been turned around. You just wonder, Davis playing at that high level, the the Lakers winning games, LeBron missing time, if they're able to jump from and out of the play-in game, and into the actual playoffs, like, could Davis at least be in the conversation? I don't know if he could win the MVP, steal it from Jokic, Giannis, Embiid, those guys, but could he bolt his name into the conversation? I think he was on the table for him to be on the ballot, maybe, but games played all that stuff. It's going to catch up with him. He's not going to, I think, put, a, put in enough games to make that happen, but he is playing out of his mind. So if LeBron comes back to this team, it's going to be, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what you do with this team because LeBron and Davis, two of the top eight guys in the league, potentially. At number eight, do not sleep on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Do not sleep on Donovan Mitchell and good defense down the stretch and in the playoffs. I mean, the Cavs defensively have been the best you know, one of, if not the best defensive team in the league all year. You can break the league up into any kind of segment, filter it out, pre, post, all-star, last however many games, break it up in whatever stretch you want. The Cavs have just, the one thing that has been consistent this year is the Cavs have been good on defense. And Mitchell has been in his career a high-level playoff scoring guy. So I think those two things together, Garland's playmaking I think this team is going to be a tough out, and I don't think you can sleep on them. I don't know what their upside is. You know, maybe it's something we'll have to discuss with Sam. The Eastern Conference is going to be tough with Milwaukee and Boston there. But looking at the league in general, looking at the teams that are left that we could rank, I think that Mitchell defense combo is the best thing. They've been top of the Eastern Conference as well most of the season. So I think it makes sense to have them in this spot. The Cleveland Cavaliers are number eight. You know, I don't know if we can say the Cleveland Cavaliers are title contenders this year, but number eight is very high in the rankings. And again, Mitchell, high-level playoff scoring guy. The defense is legit good, and hopefully they can be healthy for the playoffs, fully healthy, because they're not a deep team. And Jared Allen, Jared Allen missing time recently isn't helping any, but fully healthy don't sleep on the Cavs. At number nine, we have the New York Knicks. And it's been kind of weirdly validating for them without Brunson because the one thing that they actually have needed is Brunson. So we knew he made the transformation this year. He's elevated that team as post, you know, since the new year. His numbers have been fantastic. And it's just funny to see he misses time and you look at their point differential the last six games that Brunson hasn't played or slash finished. Their point differential the last six games is only minus one. They're three and three over that stretch. So, I mean, they're they're really close to just, you know, keeping the win streak going. And if they had Brunson at the end of these games, it would have made some of them more interesting. So, if he can come back off an of injury and continue to produce, because the one 
the one little bit he played against the Kings, he at least shot the ball decently well. So if he can come back and continue to do that, to do that Randall puts up the offensive numbers. The Josh Hart acquisition has made this team interesting as well because if you look at R.J. Barrett the last 14 games, so R.J. Barrett since they got Josh Hart, 19 points a game, but 43% from the field, 25% from three-point line compared to Josh Hart. 11 points a game, but nearly 56% from the three-point line. Shooter, defense, does all the little things, and... Quickly as well, too, he's playing better. 18 points a game, 48-40 shooting splits over that stretch. So maybe there's a world now for the Knicks where their best lineup doesn't even involve R.J. Barrett. Maybe it's Brunson, Quickly, Hart, Randall, Hartenstein. Maybe instead of Hartenstein, it's Mitchell Robinson. Or maybe they just go small. Maybe their best lineup is R.J. Barrett. Go small with Randall at the five. Hart. Barrett quickly and Brunson, but they do have that flexibility now. If they want to go Hartenstein or Mitchell at Hartenstein or Robinson at the five, they don't really need to play Barrett anymore, which is interesting because we know he was discussed in a Donovan Mitchell trade. And it'll be interesting to see if his name is floated back out there again where his value stands because I don't, you know, in a Donovan Mitchell trade now, who knows if you're still as high on Barrett as a front office as you were headed into the season, but the Knicks fully healthy, feisty team. They're playing well. I think they're close. They're super close to having a, an even better stretch than that nine win nine game win stretch that they had. But the last team in the stretch run power rankings Number 10, the Sacramento Kings. And as much love as we've given Jalen Brunson this year, I know we've gushed about him. He's having a career year. But in these all-NBA conversations, in these, you know, who's the who's the better guard in these conversations, when we're just talking about guys, we can't forget about De'Aaron Fox. The last 15 game for Fox, he's 30 points a game. He's six in the league over that stretch. Six and a half a six a game. And... Since the new year, he is third and fourth quarter points per game behind Kyrie and Giannis. This Kings team continues to just consistently pull out wins. They're third in the West. They've been at the top of the conference all year. And they do actually, I think, have a chance to be the two seed going into the playoffs. They're 40 and 27 right now. And Memphis is 41 and 26. Memphis, the two seed. Only one win separates those two teams. And the Kings are 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. And the Grizzlies are not. And it's not going to get better for them. It was announced today that Morant is going to miss. It's going to serve at least an eight-game suspension given to him by the league. And just the vibe around that team. Who knows if they're able to get back to title contender level like they were earlier in the season. The Kings actually do have a shot at the two seed if Fox continues to ball out the way he has. Sabonis as well, ninth in the league this season in value over replacement player. And we have to give the Kings credit when a lot of people criticize them because when they drafted Davion Mitchell and they drafted Keegan Murray, 
A lot of people criticized those picks. They said they weren't the right guys. There was one, you know, maybe better prospects on the board, but in Mitchell's case, it was fit. You know, is he what they need at that time? Fox is there. They had Fox and Halliburton at that point. Murray, you think maybe there's some better guys on the board, but go back to the 2021 draft when they took Davion Mitchell. They took him number nine. Number 10 was Zaire Williams. Number 11 was James Booknight. Number 12 was Josh Primo. Duarte went 13. Moody went 14. And Corey Kispert went 15. So just all the guys that went after Davion Mitchell, Davion Mitchell's just straight up better than any of those guys. You'd want to have him anyway. So seems like Mitchell might be the right pick because you look especially what he's doing in his last 10 games. 57 57% from the field, 42% from three, and maybe like a top five defensive guard in the league. So he's been an important piece for their depth. Same with Malik, same with Keegan Murray as well, when maybe a lot of people thought Ivy might be the guy there. And Murray is just, you know, Murray has at least proven that wrong for now and produced. And Malik Monk too, his last 10 games, 14 and a half points a game, 46% from three. So they're getting the bench production, production barns, all this stuff. The Kings don't sleep on the Kings, especially if Fox, the, the fourth quarter stuff from Fox is really special. He's had some big moments against some big guy. You, the game against Kawhi that went to double overtime. He went toe to toe with Giannis. He's done some incredible things down the stretch. So the Kings have somehow found their way into being a confident franchise this year. They're at 40 wins. I don't think they have made the playoffs since I could go to the bathroom on my own. And now all of a sudden, they could be the number two seed in the West. So the Kings are at number 10 in the stretch run power rankings. That's Bucks 1, Nuggets 2, Suns 3, Celtics 4, Warriors 5, Sixers, six, Lakers, Cavs, Knicks, Kings to round out the top 10. So there's a little NFL offseason, a little NBA for you. The show must go on, even without Sam. Shout out again to the iHuck guys. We wish them luck at their tournament. I guess, yeah, we can't do Frisbee Corner. Sam's not here. No soccer corner as well. There it is. That's the episode. Next week will be better. I promise Sam will be back. It will be like the good old days, Rem and Sam reunited. But that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the Instagram at Rem and Sam. Subscribe to the pod, tell a friend, do all that stuff, rate, review. And more importantly, be sure to tune back in next week. 